the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Back Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. There's an election taking place up today in California that a lot of eyes are on. It's to replace the DA in San Francisco if he is recalled. It's to add candidates to run against the governor, Gavin Newsom, in his reelection bid for this November. I'll have a lot more to say about those issues involved in those races in my monologue, which I'll do in the third hour. And we'll talk with Erica Sandberg, our political and social uh, reporter in San Francisco, in the third hour as well. But those issues, the issues that are taking place, particularly in the big cities in California, Los Angeles and San Francisco, the more you read about them, it's very interesting. Or those of us that don't live there, we have no idea how bad it is. It's impossible to understand unless you either visit there or or read the people who are doing the serious work on this. Erica Sandberg is certainly one of them. The entire candidacy of Dr. Michael Schellenberger is taking this stuff on seriously. Perhaps some of you saw him on Bill Maher or heard him on Adam Carolla this week, or Joe Rogan, I believe he was on uh, the week before that. He's making the rounds because he's speaking to something that I think most Americans intuitively understand but feel helpless up against the left and liberal bulletproof wall on discussing these issues. I think most Americans agree with Schellenberger's and the Joe Rogan's and the Adam Carolla's and the Erica Sandberg's and the Heather McDonald's, but they're cowed into silence. And in that cowing into silence, we almost feel a little helpless, don't we? I want to examine that a little bit, and there's a couple pieces uh, that came across uh, my transom I want to share with you and, and engage with you on this topic about. Uh, first of all, for those of you that uh, might be a little older, you may or may not remember in 1996, I think it was, the magazine First Things had a forum called The End of Democracy, and several scholars, many of whom were regular guests to this show, Hadley Arcus, Robert George, Robert Bork was part of it uh, when he was he was alive at the time, uh, Mitch Dechter, uh, others like that. I think Bill Bennett was part of it. Um, they were postulating after a series of Supreme Court decisions having to do with social issues that voters in various states and municipalities had voted on with their you know, civil and social conscience overturned by the federal courts and the Supreme Court, they had postulated that we were coming to an end of democracy. And the notion of that divided a lot of the movement, the conservative movement, because why? Because it's a hell of a thing to grasp or grapple with, to think you are actually losing this country, and what the prescriptives from that entail. One of the responders took offense to the notion of 
America losing uh, Americanism because it sounded so much like the 1960s use of the letter K to spell the word America as if we had become some kind of uh, Nazi dictatorship. America with a K is the German spelling in it and implied that we were a Nazi country, those who used it. And think about when that use took place. It took place when Democrats were running the country. It took place when Lyndon Johnson was president and the Democrats controlled the House and the Senate. Even then, the left was willing to call our society failed. It's something quite otherwise, isn't it, when conservatives look around and find a failed society. And we'll talk a little bit with David Riaboy in the second hour about this as well. But let me run this uh, by you, an editorial uh, that came out uh, today from our friends at Issues and Insights. And I'm noticing more and more on this. Victor Davis Hansen will join us maybe later in the week or next week, had a column similar. A 1987 television miniseries visualized the condition of the United States 10 years after we had surrendered to the Soviet Union. And the editors say that miniseries was probably not far off the mark. Life in America with a K was nothing like life in America with a C before the Soviet takeover. Though the USSR no longer exists, life in this country in 2022 feels like America with a K due to transformational changes brought by virulence inside this own country, just as Nikita Khrushchev said would happen and predicted would happen. The U.S. is not a single-party state. There are pockets of resistance to the progressive agenda, most notably in Texas and Florida. We'll see if the people in California decide to join the normal and reclaim their country after the polls close tonight. We won't know much. The polls are open till 8 p.m., I believe. But the effort to turn this nation toward a hard-left future has been accelerated by lockdowns, mandates, and the do-as-we-say diktats of the great coronavirus panic and the Democrats' control of the lawmaking and executive branches, as well as the administrative state. Unlike the Americans in America, this miniseries, we didn't surrender to the Soviets. We have simply handed power over to the left. The hard and unrelenting left controls most of the media, sets the tone of popular culture, and has hegemonized most of our institutions and businesses. Consequently, freedoms have been overrun. Dissent has been forbidden. Free speech has been shredded. And crime is allowed to thrive. Our Second Amendment rights are perhaps in graver jeopardy than ever before. The price of energy is intentionally being increased. Failure to conform to leftist demands risks ostracization. The rule of law is being ignored. Our justice system has been corrupted by politics. Both policymakers and activists want to increase the middle and lower classes dependency on government. Wealth is not to be created, but redistributed by elected officials and their functionaries in the bureaucracy. Inflation caused by democratic policies has wrecked the value of the dollar. Abundance has been replaced by shortages, the worst of which are yet to come. That's America 
2022. Spell it however you want. Seven years ago, while Barack Obama's transformational effects and efforts were winding down and then to be passed over to Hillary Clinton for further fulfillment, constitutional law professor John McGinnis noted in the City Journal that, quote, progressivism's vision of the role of the state conflicts with the system of government envisioned by America's founders. The men who dreamed of a nation based on liberty proposed a unique system in which citizens would be free to pursue their affairs individually and in voluntary association, while government power at the federal and state level was to be as tightly constrained as possible. From its inception, progressivism has posed a threat to constitutional government. It has sought to replace limited and decentralized governance with dynamic centralized authority in order to force some arrangement of equality or equity on the nation. Here's the thing. Leftists are in the minority in the United States, yet they punch far above their weight politically, socially, and culturally. They get their way through bullying, crying, turning protests into violent engagements, partnering with like-minded media, throwing tantrums, and lying in ways that a decade or two ago were unfathomable. Even in a profession like politics, that mass produces falsehoods. And though they don't outnumber non-progressives, that is, independent thinkers and those who hold our founding values as sacred, humane principles, they are picking up converts. Soon, every Democrat and many independents will have to identify as progressives because the Bolshevik ideology that fuels the left leaves no room for opposition. I will remind every fundraising email I get from the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, claims her to be, she claims to be in these fundraising emails, a progressive Democrat. No embarrassment about the term. We didn't aim to be negative, but we can't avoid the facts, especially when the country is headed so far and so fast in the wrong direction. Reality is an effective teacher, especially when it's unpleasant. We will see if that reality begins, as so much does, with reclaiming California. We'll see if it's hit rock bottom. I'd be curious as to everyone else's in the audience thoughts about we the sense you have as to whether we are losing or reclaiming our country. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Just heard uh, an ad for Cool Touch. Yes, I love Cool Touch. Uh, the Cool Touch air conditioning, heating, and plumbing. I have uh, used them for all of those things. Uh, my house. I love that company. I love what Chris Funk says. It, it's really a great line. When it comes to hiring, Cool Touch believes that it's easier to teach a good person about air conditioning than it is to teach an air conditioning technician how to be a good person. And you get that sense. Just the moment you call Cool Touch, they are good people. They are honest people. 17 years in business, A-plus rating with the BBB, never received a complaint with the ROC. I, I just love Chris Funk, and, and, and I, I was going to say Cool Touch and the gang. I don't mean it to be humorous, but I just love the people over there. And if you need them, you will, too. Right now, they're waiving their diagnostic fees for listeners of this show. So if you uh, need help with plumbing and air conditioning, boy time of year. Give them a call 
at 623-734-1932 or visit him online at cooltouchac.com. That's cooltouchac.com. Make sure and tell him I sent you. Uh, I gave you one line of thinking in an essay that came my way about the loss of this country to some kind of Nikita Khrushchev prognostication as to how it would happen. Um, There's another historian, um, Victor Davis Hanson, who wrote slightly differently but reaching much the same conclusion. Let me offer this up to you for our discussion. It's titled The Sovietization of American Life. When you see multiple scholars coming to this realization, maybe it's time to take it a little more seriously. He writes, one day historians will look back at the period beginning with the COVID lockdowns of spring 2020 through the midterm elections of 2022 to understand how America for over two years lost its collective mind and turned into something unrecognizable and antithetical to its founding principles. Sovietization is perhaps the best diagnosis of the pathology. It refers to the subordination of policy, expression, popular culture, and even thought to ideological mandates. Ultimately, such regimentation destroys a state since dogma wars with defeats meritocracy, creativity, and freedom. Think about those two polar opposites. Dogma on the one side based on regimentation and on the other meritocracy, creativity, freedom, or liberty. Experts became sycophantic. They mortgaged their experience and talent to ideology, to the point where society itself becomes a regress. The law is no longer blind and disinterested, but it adjudicates indictment, prosecution, verdict, and punishment on the ideology of the accused. Eric Holder is held in contempt of Congress and smiles, Peter Navarro is held in contempt of Congress and is hauled off in cuffs and leg irons. James Clapper and John Brennan lied under oath to Congress and were rewarded with television contracts. Roger Stone did the same and a SWAT team showed up at his home with CNN tipped off so they could cover it. Andrew McCabe made false statements to federal investigators and was exempt. A setup George Papadopoulos went to prison for the same charge. So goes the new American commissariat. Examine California and ask a series of simple questions. Why does the state that formerly served as a model to the nation regarding, say, transportation, now suffer inferior freeways while its multi-billion dollar high-speed rail project remains another boondoggle failure. Why was it safe and critically needed? Why was its safe and critically needed last remaining nuclear power plant scheduled for shutdown as the state faced summer brownouts? Why did its forests go up in smoke predictably each summer as its timber industry and the century-old science of forest management all but disappeared from the state? Why do the state's criminals so often evade indictment and, if convicted, are often not incarcerated or are quickly paroled? Why are its schools' test scores 
dismal. It's gasoline, the nation's highest price, and the streets of its major cities, fetid and dangerous, in a fashion not true 50 years ago or elsewhere today. In a word, the one-party state is Sovietized. Public policy is no longer empirical, but subservient to green, diversity, equity, and inclusion dogmas, and detached from the reality of daily middle-class existence. Decline is ensured once ideology governs problem-solving rather than time-tested and successful policy-making. In a similar fashion, the common denominator in Joe Biden's two years of colossal failures is Soviet-like edicts of equity, climate change, and neo-socialist retribution that have ensured, for the non-elite in any event, soaring inflation, unaffordable energy, rampant crime, and catastrophic illegal immigration. Playing the role of Pravda, Biden and his team simply denied things were bad, relabeled failures as successes, and attacked his predecessor and critics as various sorts of counter-revolutionaries. Biden rejected common sense, bipartisan policies that in the past kept inflation low, energy affordable, crime controlled, and the border manageable. Instead, he superimposed leftist dogma on every decision whose ideological purity, not real-life consequences for millions, was considered the measure of success. Think about that, the ideological purity. Entire professions have now nearly been lost to this purity, this progressive ideology. Do you remember the stellar economists who swore at the time of Biden's vast government borrowing increases in the monetary supply, incentivizing labor non-participation and supply chain interruptions, that there was no threat of inflation? Were they adherents of ideological modern monetary theory? Did they ignore their own training and expertise and loyalty to progressive creeds? What about the Stanford doctors who signed a groupthink letter attacking their former colleague, Dr. Scott Atlas, because he questioned the orthodoxies of Dr. Anthony Fauci and the state bureaucracies, who we now know hid their own involvement with channeling funding to deadly gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Did they reject his views on empirical grounds and welcome a give-and-take shared inquiry with him, Atlas, or simply wish to silence an ideological outlier, an advisor to a despised counter-revolutionary. I have more to say about this, as does Victor Davis Hanson. Some explanations as well. Love to hear from you, too. 602-508-0960 as we go to break. I'll put in a word. The product I take every single day, Balance of Nature, 10 servings of fruits and vegetables in one daily dose. 100% natural, pure, potent plant power. Everything from garlic, gaihan peppers, to bananas and papayas, tart cherries. I love balance of nature. It fuels me, keeps my energy high, my immunity boosted, my health in great shape. You can too. Go to balanceofnature.com. Check out their fruits and veggies. And if you do, make sure to use discount code BALANCE.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I was just listening to that, uh, that, that song's in my running playlist. I was telling Jim earlier, I, I, he asked what's new. I said, no, just the usual, the three R's in my life. What are the three R's? What are the three R's? Uh, run, running radio and repasting. Running radio and repasting. Those are my three R's. All right. Uh, 602-508-0960 is the number for you. If you want to weigh in on the conversation, I'm reading to you a very, very strong piece Victor Davis Hansen wrote called The Sovietization of American Life. And he's going down, you know, a list of several examples, the aggregate of which draws one to a conclusion that I was loath to embrace, but I don't know if it is anything other than ineluctable at this point. He writes, how about those 50 retired intelligence experts who swore that Hunter Biden's laptop was not genuine, but likely disinformation? Did they rely on hundreds of years of collective expertise to adjudicate the laptop, or did they simply wish to be rewarded with something comparable to a Hero of Woke America Award. Or what about the 1,000 met? By the way, I just got to stop on this for a moment. I just, I, this, this, these, these intelligence experts, um, the clappers and, 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 and the like. You know, when the Hunter laptop story came out just before the election and they moved so quickly – to a ju- to a judge that this was look that this looked more like Russian propaganda and disinformation than the laptop that the New York Post verified and had the chain of custody on. I suppose I suppose an argument could be made by some of these networks that hired these contributors, your James Clappers. You know, when, when CNN or MSNBC hires these people as contributors and they're listed as CNN or MSNBC contributors, do you know what that means? That means they are contractual employees of those networks and they get paid very lucratively to appear there. By very lucratively, I mean they get paid six figures. I, I, I've worked in this world a little bit and did some work in that world a little bit. They are paid very lucratively. I can understand how the network itself could let those comments fly over their airwaves, over their broadcasts, in a sincere belief that these intelligence experts knew what they were doing. These were directors of national security. These were directors of the CIA. These are people with high-value security clearances that they have and get to keep for their lifetimes, even after they're out of office. But, you know, once the Washington Post and the New York Times and every major media outlet that looked at the Hunter laptop story concluded that it was legitimate, yes, I know, the New York Post had already done that work, but once CNN's fellow shall we say, colleagues, once CNN's colleagues validated it, wouldn't you fire those intelligence experts for broadcasting false information over your airwaves or at least revealing themselves as not worthy of being an intelligence expert 
under your employing contract with your brand naming on it? And the answer is no, and the answer is no for a reason. It's a big tell. I don't know if enough people understand this who aren't regular listeners of talk radio or naturally conservative, but it's a big tell. They never issued retractions or apologies. They just moved on. Why would you would fire someone who got something monumentally wrong like that, wouldn't you, if you were operating in good faith? And therein is the issue. It's not that they're operating in good faith. CNN and MSNBC are operating in bad faith. The purpose of having people like Clapper and former Obama intelligence officials in their employ is not to provide intelligence no one else has access to. Do you know what it is? It's to provide political talking points and dress it up with the gaslighting and faux credibility, airsats credibility of the position they used to hold. That's what it's about. In other words, they're in on it and they all did their job. Their job was not providing news and intelligence and analysis. Their job was providing a Democrat to be the president of the United States. Job well done. Not, we're going to have to look at the renewal of your contract based on faulty intelligence. Hey, welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, check out my friends at Y Refi. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's run by great people who are doing really well by helping others, and you can be too. They're offering a fixed no load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized, secured portfolio. Why Refi is in the business of helping people dig out of debt by paying off their debts and doing so the right way and doing it with dignity. Check them out. They're a local company. You can give them a call. At 855-316-3087 or online at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y-R-E-F-Y.com. You go meet with them, you're not going to get a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk to you about what it is they do and let it speak for themselves. Again, investyrefi.com. I'm going through this... uh, Victor Davis Hansen piece, Examples of Sovietization of American Life. We talked about the intelligence professionals. What of the 1,000 medical professionals who claimed violating quarantine and protective protocols for the Black Lives Matter demonstrations was vital for the mental health of the protesters? Or the Princeton creators of a video identifying Jonathan Katz as a sort of public enemy for the crime of stating that racial discrimination of any sort was toxic. There can be no expertise under Sovietization, Dr. Hansen writes. Everything and everyone serves one thing, ideology. Our military, especially the four-star generals, current and retired, parroted perceived ideological correct thought. Repeating party lines about diversity, white supremacy, and climate change are far more relevant for career advancement than proof of prior effective military leadership in battle. The ultimate trajectory of a woke military was the fatal disgrace of Afghanistan. 
Ideologues in uniform kept claiming that the humiliating skedaddle was a logistical success and that misguided bombs that killed innocents were called a righteous strike. Afghanistan all summer of 2021 was to be Joe Biden's successful model of a graduated withdrawal in time for the 20th anniversary commemorating 9-11. Remember that? And then it suddenly wasn't. Pentagon decision-making increasingly privileges race, gender, sexuality, and green goals over military training and lethality, a fact known to all who are up for promotion, retention, or disciplinary action. How predictable it was that the United States fled Kabul, abandoning not just billions of dollars worth of sophisticated weapons to terrorists, but also with pride flags flying. George Floyd murals on public walls and gender studies initiatives being carried out in the military ranks. Ask yourself if a general during the Afghanistan war had brilliantly organized a sustainable and defensible corridor around Bagram Airfield, but was known to be skeptical of Pentagon efforts to address climate change and diversity, would he be praised or reviled? The elite universities and their single-minded pursuit of wokeness are ironically doing America a great favor. He says for a long time, their success was due to an American fetishization of brand names. But now, most privately accept that a bachelor's degree from Princeton or Harvard is no longer an indication of acquired knowledge or mastery of empiricism or even predictive of inductive thinking over deductive dogmatism. Instead, we now understand various lettered certificate services, stamps for career advancement, proof either of earlier high school achievement that merely won the bare admission to the select or confirmation that the graduate possesses the proper wealth contacts, athletic ability, race, gender, or sexuality to be invited to the club. Universities' abandonment of test scores and diminution of grades replaced by community service and race, gender, and sexuality criteria has simply clarified the bankruptcy of the entire higher education industry. Our diversity statements required for hiring at many universities are becoming comparable to Soviet certifications of proper Marxist-Leninist fidelity. Like the children of Soviet apparatchiks, privileged university students now openly attack faculty whose reading requirements or lectures supposedly exude secrets and sense of colonialism or imperialism or white supremacy. Faculty increasingly fear offering merit evaluation in terror that diversity commissars might detect in their grading an absence of reparatory race or gender appraisal. The result is still more public cynicism about higher education because it's apparent that the goal is to graduate with a stamp from Yale or Stanford that ensures prestige, success, and ideological correctness on the supposition that few will ever worry exactly what or how one did while they were enrolled. We have our own Emanuel Goldsteins. You know who that is from 1984. We have our own Emanuel Goldsteins who are told we are told, deserve our three minutes of hate for counter-revolutionary thought and practice. Donald Trump earned the enmity of the CIA, the FBI, the Justice Department, the IRS. Now Elon Musk and his companies are suddenly the targets of the progressive state, including repartees from the president himself. To vent the popular Soviet directs its collective enmity 
at a Dave Chappelle or Bill Maher, progressives who exhibit the occasional counter-revolutionary heresy. Cabinet secretaries ignore their duties, somewhat understandable given their resumes and never explained their appointments. What binds a Pete Buttigieg, Alejandro Mayorkas, and Jennifer Granholm is not expertise in their fields, transportation, border security, or energy, but allegiance to an entire menu of woke policies that are often antithetical to their own job descriptions. Diversity, equity, inclusion started out as mandated proportional representation as defined by the state allotting spoils of coveted admissions, hiring, honors, and career advancement by race and gender percentages in the general population. The subtext was that the federal and state governments imported and incorporated largely academic theories that alleged any disequilibrium was due to bias. More specifically, racial and sexual prejudices were to be exposed and punished by moral, moral superior, morally superior castes in politics, the bureaucracy, and the courts. There was never any interest in detailing how particular individuals were personally harmed by the system or by the other, which explains the left's abhorrence of racially blind class-based criteria to establish justified needs. In the last five years, American Sovietization has descended into reparatory representation due to prior collective culpability of whites, heterosexuals, and males. Marginalized, self-defined groups of victims must now be overrepresented in admissions, hiring, and visibility in popular culture. As the Soviets and Maoists discovered, and as was true of the Jacobins and National Socialists, One radical ideology defines success, then life, in general, becomes anti-meritocratic. More in a moment. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I didn't finish uh, Victor Davis Hanson's piece. Perhaps you got enough of it and understand it. But when scholars like him... And serious journalists like it, Issues and Insights, which came out of Investors Business Daily, are writing the same thing about the Sovietization of the country. Maybe it's time to wake up and start thinking we're not just a few lone voices in the wilderness on this, that there is maybe something to this. Rob's in surprise. Hi, Rob. Oh, hi, Seth. Um, I was uh, thinking with all the you know, division going on. I, I went back to the Federalist Papers. I think uh, Federalist 9 and 10, I think 9 was Alexander Hamilton and 10 was uh, James Madison. They were talking about uh, factions being, uh, or, or the uh, republic uh, can can survive the different factions. And factions are based on uh, emotion versus reason. And nothing could be more clear as to, you know, who's using reason now and who's using emotions now. Um, it just seems that um, if we didn't have a republic, and I, I looked at, uh, you know, the, the story of the death of democracy, I would, I, I hate to say it, I'd rather see that than the death of the republic, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I, I take your point. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I what, well, how did Madison them. put it in Federalist <laughs> 10? He said... Um, he said there are two ways to tame faction, right? Uh, you remove its causes 
or you control its effects. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that when we're out of power, we can control its effects. I think what we can do is talk about what's animating it and perhaps help remove its causes, interestingly enough. I think the, the wholesale effort might be easier than the retail effort in certain respects. Well, I, I agree. And again, it, I, I'm thinking that they have they have probably looked at that as, you know, the best way to do it is through the ballot box. Um, we're, and I'm thinking, you know, we, we, I'm not sure that it can be cured through a ballot box that may be in fact corrupt. And, uh, you know, that's part of the 2020. Say that again. I'm not sure. Day. I just missed the, the last part of that sentence. Say that again. Oh, Mark. yeah. The, I, I'm not sure that it can be fixed even through the ballot box if what we saw in 2020 is any indication yeah. of, uh, you know, the corruption. Uh-huh. Um, also, on, as a sideline, I did see the Top Gun movie. I really liked it better than the first one. Gosh, you know, I am hearing so many good things about this. I A lot of people have seen it. Everyone who's told me they've seen it, and everyone who, has, who I kind of like and read who's written it, they've seen it. It's unanimous. It's unanimous. Something on the line and on par with at least the best movie they've seen in the last 10 years. We'll talk about why. Um, if not today, then tomorrow. David Riaboy is coming up. He's coming up on this topic we've been discussing. Let me put in a word for the Midas Gold Group as we go to break. The veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, when it comes to your investments in the economy, you may want to consider the stability of physical gold. If you are considering precious metals, consider the company that I, Seb Gorka, thousands of you already use, the the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. I know these guys. They're really great guys. And uh, just the fact that they help sponsor our communication and message should uh, open your eyes to them in the first place. But open your eyes and ears and hands to them by the fact that they just are really great guys. MidasGoldGroup.com. Be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 